Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 203. This episode is with strength and conditioning coach Sam Peeps. Sam came on and we discussed why he took the route to go into the private sector in terms of S&C and set up his business. We discussed the training options he has available for players and also the options he has to work with him from a coach perspective as well and his mentorship program. We discussed in-season training and the approach he takes to that and then also um, how that differs to off-season training with the players that he works with. And then we did go into detail on his mentorship program and where that came about from and how that works as well. So we covered loads of great topics in this podcast, so I hope you enjoy it. Just before we get into the episode, I just want to highlight our next networking event up in Scotland at Lennox Town Training Facility, Celtics Training Ground on Wednesday the 21st of September, 6 till 9pm. We've got three speakers at this event. We've got Head of Sports Science at Celtic, Anton McElhone. We've got Head of Fitness and Conditioning, John Curry, and also B-Team Sports Scientist, Andy Bowles. Andy's actually been on the podcast before, back on episode 76 as well, that you can go and check out. They're all going to be presenting on the programme and creating a Champions League player and how the programme works up at Celtic. So really looking forward to seeing the facility and also the guys speaking up there. As you listen to this podcast, the early bird has probably finished, but there are still tickets available. So go to the shop section at footballfitfed.com and grab yourself a ticket there. We've already got Coaches confirmed from Dundee United, Aberdeen, Kilmarnock, Hibs and a few other clubs as well. So make sure you go and confirm your place. There are going to be um, restrictions on the maximum amount of people at this event. So make sure you act quick and grab your ticket. So let's get into the episode with Sam now. Just before we do, I just want to say a huge thank you to our sponsors, Rezzle, and enjoy episode 203. Rezzle is the world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Whatever your team, your sport, your ability, improve your game and train like a pro. Reactions, performance, accuracy, stamina, resilience. Train at home in the Rezzle Sports and Fitness VR Training Arena. Search Rezzle, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. The world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Available now on MetaQuest. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 203, and I'm delighted to welcome on to the podcast today, Sam Peeps. Sam, how are we? Very well, thanks. Um, appreciate you having me on. No, thank you for coming on, mate. And uh, we always start the podcast in the same way, and I think it'd be interesting to hear your backstory, your background, but also the current setup, what you're currently doing as well. So can you take us on a little bit of a story? All right, let's just take you way, way back. <laughs> so um, post-university, I actually temporarily pursued a career in finance or tried to, would you believe it? <laughs> Purely because my, my brother and sister were both in finance and I thought that was the, the avenue that I needed to take. Then one day I had this epiphany that, you know, it's just not for me and um, the office life just wasn't going to be me long term. And, you know, obviously I had a desire and, um, passion to sort of work in in football in some capacity I wasn't quite sure where it was going to be at the time um but yeah then I did my obviously my personal training qualification and uh worked at the local commercial gym for a bit you know did the crappy shifts and all that jazz which you have to do which is character building and then um yeah and then slowly started to uh make my way in towards you know football um getting work experience where I could um, speaking to whoever I could and you know at the time I actually ended up bumping into a player who was at Fulham um, that season um, I said to him look can you just let me in somehow I kept knocking on his door being like show me around Fulham blah 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 introduce me to you know whoever I need to speak to unfortunately they went down that season and then he moved over to Crystal Palace and um, yeah so the rest is history as they say um, and now six years on from when I left Palace, um, now still working, well, very much working in the private sector, working with players of all sort of levels and ages, um, ranging from, you know, grassroots all the way through to sort of first team Premier League players. Real. So what was the role at Palace? Was that first team, academy? Started off in academy and then made my way up 
to sort of 23s and had some first team exposure as well. We kind of all chipped in a little bit. <laughs> so if you're of that sort of strength and conditioning background, um, you know, you just support where you can kind of thing, which is great for, for someone who's essentially trying to get the experience and apply their trade within it. You know, you get exposure to different areas, you know, in the academy I was doing obviously not only the gym work, but also had some exposure to some return to play pitch-based work. Um, and then obviously going out for the 23s first team, more gym, more pitch work as well. But then you get to sort of, you know, you see it in a different light, you know. I mean, I'm not saying the academy is completely different, but um, there is, there are certainly um, differences between obviously how they, you know, train in comparison to, say, uh, an under-18 team. So, yeah, it, it was great. <clears throat> great experience, great exposure to a number of different aspects of the game. So when did, uh, well, when did the decision come to go, private and also was it was it an intention to do that or how did that come about you know what if you're looking back on it now um i mean the, my decision to leave was intentional um having worked so hard to to get the experience and do what i needed to do in order to work for a professional football club and then sort of decide to leave it seems a bit absurd but um i mean to be honest i just didn't see my career in football in that capacity um, I think, you know, it was great and everything, but then the sort of novelty wore off a little bit for me uh, and I wanted to explore other things. I had a couple of businesses going on at the time and um, there's just not room for everything, um, which, you know, seems to be a mistake I've made a few times in the past, trying to take on too much and then something else suffers. <laughs> yeah, well, I think there's plenty of people out there that give the advice of just saying yes initially, don't they? And then finding a way of, of working. So I, I think know. there's definitely something in that. I know there's definitely a skill in saying no, I feel. <laughs> yeah, 100%. So, you, Sam, you said about the businesses. Were they linked in with what you currently do now or was that something completely different? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So basically exactly what I'm doing now. Um, okay. Just back, back then, it was sort of uh, very much the foundations of, uh, of where we are now and everything. But, yeah, well, I suppose my decision to, to leave was, was based on um, long-term vision, uh, opportunity outside of football, um, also the flexibility as well. I know that sounds yeah. a bit that sounds a bit ridiculous, um, but I just enjoy having a bit more of my time, time to travel with my other half, whatever. Um, and then there's obviously the remuneration side of things as well, which I, I put it last because it's not it's not the priority. It's just uh, something that comes as a result of you know working in the private sector and having different revenue streams, like we sort of touched on earlier. And I know anyone in a similar sort of situation that's working with players or clients, other athletes from other sports in a similar situation, a lot of it is trying to build reputation, isn't it? It's trying to get the word out there, that the quality mm. work that you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, we've started speaking beforehand, which we probably do a whole podcast on, on yeah. how private work actually works <laughs> and mm -hmm. the sort of standard of it and all the rest of it. But in terms of building that reputation, when you first took the step away from the club mm -hmm. into the private world, how did you go about then trying to develop that reputation? So I suppose off the back of, you know, working at Palace automatically, there is a level, but, you know, still the credibility still needs a bit of work. Um, you know, I was still, I was still actively working with players of varying levels. Um, my, I suppose my, it took a while for me to actually get to, I mean, actually, no, that's not true. I actually had relationships with some of the guys from Palace, which helped the transition. Um, the work with them, one of them was, was in season when he was kind of in and out of the first team into the 23s. The other was very much in the off season, similar with another player who is actually you know, a combination of in season and off season. Um, so I suppose it's just, it was just a case of, you know, communicating with the right people, um, getting your foot in the door and then just, you know, doing, doing a good job. Um, and how do you find that re relationship with um, not just a player, but with the club as well? Interesting one. <laughs> so I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, we have communication with clubs on every single level. Um, you know, a lot of the players I tend to work with is mostly off season anyway. Um, and with the off-season work, based off, you know, my experience of working with players, you know, obviously the club, they provide certain guidelines um, of what they would like the players to do, which we abide by. Um, there is just generally a little bit more freedom with, 
you know, what you can get out of the player sometimes based on what you see objectively and what they want to get out of the process. Um, but then I suppose you've got to bear in mind that off-season, the window we're talking here can be, sometimes it can be three as much as three weeks. Once they've had their two-week rest period, um, you know, you then got to slowly start reintegrating some of the, the biomotors for the sport. And, uh, you know, you, this, it's not a time to try and be a hero and get PBs out of a player. You know, you just want to create or, yeah, establish some form of base for the player before they go back in for pre-season. Yeah, perfect. So when players are um, coming to work with you, Sam, or inquiring about working with you, and this is obviously for players, because I know you've got some um, work you do with coaches as well, which I'd like to touch on too, but for players to start with, what are the sort of options you have available? So I've got a combination of options. Um, one is the in-person coaching, which is now very much for footballers and athletes of other sports returning to play. So I do have a a bit of an interest in uh, the injury side of things and assisting physios with sort of bridging uh, the return to play process. Um, but yeah, the one-to-one -one coaching is, is very much for that population now. Uh, and then there's also the online side of things, um, which at the moment we've got a, a fair few footballers on there, a number of athletes from other sports. Um, and we offer a number of different packages there from ranging from one-to-one -one service, which is uh, much more customised and specific to them to a, a slightly more scaled model, which is more of a framework, which I've learned over the years, especially if you're working with footballers of varying levels, um, the schedules are all completely different. So, you know, you can give someone a framework, but there has to be so much flexibility in that framework, especially when, which has happened pretty early on this season. I think it started in pre-season for a lot of the sort of grassroots semi-pro lot. They were playing two game weeks straight off the bat. Um, some of them play Monday, Friday, some play Tuesday, Saturday, some play Wednesday, Sunday. So, you know, you can't give them a typical one game um, prep schedule. I mean, even if they do have a two game week, uh, you can't just give them a sort of generic sort of Tuesday, Saturday, because there's so much variance. Um, so yeah, that's why scaling a business online is can be quite difficult. Yeah, hundred percent. The well, one side of it is, is that's that's the easier part I find. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah those, are the, those are the options: combination of in person and and online. Because you see it with fixtures, especially in the Premier League at the moment, don't mm. you? Like literally, we've gone from playing at the weekend and possibly a mid <laughs> midweek game on a Tuesday to now. We've got Mondays, Tuesdays, there's some Wednesday games. There was a game last night, which was a Thursday. We've got Friday night, Saturday, Sunday. It's literally every day it's now, great. isn't it? It's great for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's but, um, yeah, no, I do. I'm not holding my breath on this one because I think, I mean, perhaps not those going to the World Cup, but, you know, that six-week break for many will be a relief. Um, but off, based off my work in the last off-season, there was a lot more tendinopathies than... I'd experienced previously. I don't know whether that's a result of the volume, um, you know, the load that they're having to endure or, or, or what. But that would be purely speculation, but possibly. <laughs> Another interesting thing, actually, when I went to the isokinetic football conference in, uh, in Lyon, they said that over the, I mean, they used the 20, uh, 20 year time frame. Over the 20 years, um, soft tissue injuries have gone up. Um, sorry, muscular specific, but things like tendons and ligaments have tend to gone down, which uh, you can interpret that whichever way you like. <laughs> um, you know, is that anything or a reflection of how the game has changed over the last 20 years or not? I'm not sure. Yeah, it's, it's hard to put, I suppose, be so precise on that, isn't it? No. But the fact that there are changes is something that we need to be aware of, isn't it? Yeah. Like, I mean, we don't we don't have access to well, personally, I don't have enough have access to enough data to be able to say, oh yeah, it's this, blah blah blah. But you know, there are things you sort of take into consideration and try and interpret in whichever way you feel is is appropriate. Yeah, hundred percent. So, how do you find the online work with players? So, how do how do you structure that? How do you um, sort of go about planning that when you because you're obviously not going to meet them in person. Mm. So initially, we, we well, how it all starts, especially for for those who are on a, a sort of more customised model, we'll have a Zoom chat, um, talk for 45 to 60 minutes, similar to us, <laughs> and just just get down to the nitty gritty of um, them, what they're about, where they're looking to go, their sort of ambitions, injury history, and then playing schedules, and then 
on that option, they get it, you know, it's fully tailored to them and their training week, um, abiding by obviously the loading and structure that they then provide by the club. Um, those that are on the, the, the scale model, like I sort of said earlier, it gets, it gets a little bit more complicated in that, you know, we're trying to be more flexible now with the framework that we provide. Um, but I, I found that, you know, you need to sort of tell people exactly what to do and when you can't just give them something which is quite generic because uh, like I've touched on earlier with regards to the congested weeks, you know, if you've got, say, you're trying to give them their like, primary gym session in, you've got it scheduled in for a, what would be a, typically a Tuesday and they've played on, say, a Monday, then it just doesn't work. So you, it needs to be, you know, much more precise. Although you're trying to scale something, you know, um, this, is, this, is where, this is where the complexities of, you know, working with a mass audience, like the one-to-one -one is, is, is a lot easier to manage. Um, yeah, hundred percent. Because as soon as you sorry, I was, gonna, I was gonna say as soon as you start to scale like that, and your numbers are essentially going up with that mm. scale in mind, which is a sensible. Any business you're gonna look at has got a system like that in place, so it's something that you, you should be doing probably in mm. that position. Um, but obviously, numbers in, go in up. an ideal world. What I'd love to do, sorry to interrupt. I'd love to just give. Say, if you had, if you had your your, your training week, and then say if they've had their two game weeks and everything was specific to minutes played rather than just, you know, just giving them say a, a standard sort of 60 minute SNC session, uh, depending on how you want to skin the cat here, I tend to spread load more often in season and then go very carefully on dosing some of the sort of more submaximal efforts. Um, but in an ideal world, I'd love to have like a, um, a sort of diagram or, or a pathway that say, sends them off to do this if they've done 30 minutes, this to do if they've done 60 minutes, because that's essentially what it, what it needs to be, mm. uh, really. Unless you're going to give someone a blanket approach and just put in like six leg exercises for them to do on match day plus two, I mean, great. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to you guys to do that. <laughs> yeah. Actually, you know what? I know, I know none of your followers will be programming that way, but it was just purely based on a post that I saw earlier on social media. <laughs> but that that ties into quite a good point though because i suppose it's into the myths of training in season now like yeah. some of the things that players are aware of probably quite rightly as well because of that sort of approach that's been taken yeah by certain people so with that in mind how do you counter that and then what is your approach i know you just briefly touched on it then mm. So typically what i do in season this and this once again this is very specific to the individual um, sessions tend to be more full body based. I definitely go down more of a conjugate periodization um, approach, um, but tend to spread the load throughout the week. Sometimes even dose it threes. Say, if I wanted to do some top up work, um, I've been, which was actually, it was refreshing to see. On the, I saw on the Sportsman the other day, the Rangers SNC coach, he does small, um, small gym based sessions after a game. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, um, yeah, which is it's great to see the top up work like really coming to the fore because you know, I think the the sort of generic one game programming approach is is so dated. You know, having sort of much more lower focus on that. say let's call it training day one. Um, perhaps even maybe giving them a little bit too much load. Um, but you know, spreading it and then incorporating top ups where you need. Um. So yeah, that's kind of typically my, my approach in season. Um, we've been giving people specific work to do after the game. If they're say 30 minutes, if they played 30 minutes, some will get a little bit more. Um, so kind of similar to what I touched on, but I've gone, rather than going very specific with the minutes, I've kind of like given a cutoff point. <laughs> Everyone's getting their Nordics in after a game anyway, depending on the training week. Um, but yeah, this there's, there are so many different ways of doing it. I mean, I, I wouldn't sit, I'm not going to sit here and say that giving someone a lot of volume, uh, a lot of lower leg volume in season is perhaps the, the most beneficial way to go about things. Um, but I th think you can get a lot of gain from like microdosing some of that submaximum work um, alongside the velocity, velocity specifics. Yeah, 100%. What has been your experience recently with? players um education around strength work because 
I, I see this as probably being less the case now, but it'd be interesting to get your opinion as well of players not wanting to lift so-called heavy to avoid soreness. And like you've mentioned, not really understanding where volume comes into it. Mm-hmm. Is that still something that you you tackle in terms of, I suppose, like a, not a myth, but something that players believe? Um, or do you think that players are a lot better educated now? I think players generally are. There's definitely, I mean, I could probably generalise a little bit here and, and say that there is probably an element of like phobia towards any form of additional soreness, what the sport-specific demand is already providing. Um, now, it's not always the intention to make someone sore. And, you know, by microdosing in season, the way we've sort of touched on, you can avoid that and still maintain an element of preparedness for, you know, when, when the game comes in. Um, I still think based on based on some of the European approaches to SNC, there might be still that element of, you know, lifting heavy in season as a real faux pas. Um, the English game, thankfully, is, is big on the SNC and on the, the lifting side of things. So I'm not concerned there. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, don't know if you've had, I don't know if you sort of um, will share the same opinion on the SNC side of things in the English game. I think, I think at clubs, obviously, players are getting they're getting pretty good education from the from the majority of people that you speak to. But I do feel like probably there is still a large amount of players that kind of fall into that trap of believing that as well. Mm. Um, and I've had quite a few discussions with people where they'll say, oh, I don't want to lift too heavy because I don't want to get sore. I'll just do this many, this many sets of 10 instead. Mm. And it's like, well, actually, your volume's a lot more. Mm. doing it that way like i know i know i mean that yeah i think obviously that is just purely down to a lack of education is it i've been misinformed um doing the sort of four tens in season um but i mean a lot of this comes down to kind of how and this is purely on a player how they prepare um coming into it so you know we're going to i'm going to touch on obviously our or my approach in the off season might be different might be similar to other people but um you know when you're creating that capacity and that foundation there, then, then when they then go in towards pre-season, um, they've got that kind of tissue tolerance that we kind of want. Uh, hopefully there'll be some form of, you know, you're not going to force the needle in pre-season because the running loads are going to go. Yeah. Um, so, you know, as long as there's, there's still some form of maintenance there, which then takes them through in season, um, as long as they're not trying to you know, smash out PBs or, or do your four by tens or, you know, things like that, then, you know, sauna shouldn't really be something to take into consideration. But obviously what we do have to take into consideration is the managing of the fatigue side of things. And, you know, neuromuscular fatigue is a, uh, is a sneaky one. Yeah. <laughs> unless you're, you know, unless you've got the, the tools and, you know, you're using the various different uh, methods at your disposal to, to monitor that, you know, it's, um, that's obviously, you know, fundamentally important in season. I just wanted to give a very quick heads up to some of the latest uploads to our online community. So I mentioned in the previous episode, we've uploaded a Q&A with performance coach Matt Taberner, who's most recently worked over in the NBA with Orlando Magic. Matt tackled loads of great questions, questions including training prescription, rehabilitation, career advice, job titles, and also feeding back on data, plus much more, which you can go and check out on the community. We also had a great presentation from Performance Director Simon Crampton, who is actually on episode 202 of the podcast. He presented on the pre-signed medical process at MK Dons. He touched on the pre-medical research, subjective processes, objective processes, and also some legal considerations around medicals as well. And then at that same event, head of SNC at MK Dons, Tom Bromley presented on the MK Dons SNC program. He covered some gym-based assessments, uh, analysis and program design, some protocols that they use. And then he also gave a practical demo of the VALD system that they use at Dons as well. So you can go and check all of that out, plus much more, which, which we've uploaded recently, by joining our community and connecting with sports scientists and strength and conditioning coaches from right around the world. Just go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab, get yourself signed up there. It'll give you 30 a 30-day 30 free trial 
Once you've signed up, you can access all the content that's on there. After your 30-day free trial, it is only £4.99 per month going forward and you'll get continued access to all the content that's on there and then some exciting stuff we've got coming in the next few weeks as well, including the presentations from our Celtic event if you're not able to make that. So go and check it out, footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab, sign yourself there and come and join our interactive community. Here's part two of the podcast with Sam Peeps. And what's what tends to be your approach when, because obviously players are going to be carrying out programs at clubs as well. Mm-hmm. So when you get a player, obviously without, you don't have to name names or anything like mm-hmm. that, but if they've got this program set by the club and mm-hmm. then they're wanting to work with you as well. Like what's your approach to that? Like what are you trying to target? I know it's going to depend case by case, but what's your sort mm-hmm. of thought, thought process behind that? Well, a lot of it would come down to the, the player itself and also the objective feedback that I'm collecting from testing that I've done it on, in the off-season with them or monitoring that I'm doing. Um, but you've got to bear in mind that the majority of the work that I do in person is in the off-season. Um, there's only been a few cases over the years, or the last couple of years, that have been in-season. One is late-stage return to play, um, which was a an interesting one. I mean, we can we can we can elaborate on that one a little bit if you <laughs> if you'd like. That'll be good. That'll be good. <laughs> um, and once again, it's like what I talked about earlier. I wasn't trying to tread on people's toes. I was approached by parents and also player who I've worked with previously, and he said, "Look, I'm I'm struggling with, you know, I think there was an issue with buying um, with the person he was working with." Um, and he was he was behind. There, I mean, for sure, there could have been a lot of athlete contribution here as well. It's definitely not the onus that isn't on the personnel affiliated with the club or anything. Absolutely not. Um, it takes two to tango, so they say. Um, so we just I just helped fill in fill in a few gaps. That's that's um, probably the most simplistic way of putting it. Yeah, because that was another it was thing. More, was it was it was more. Just let me just uh, elaborate on that. It was more on the. Um, on the integration of plyo pre-running right yeah he just based on what he was telling me and where we were with the four stacks and stuff and some of his data he just wasn't doing enough of it and the competency was kind of lacking um right. so that was kind of where the most of the emphasis was just building that ability and physical literacy post acls yeah um before obviously going back into to running yeah because I, I was going to ask you as well on that I suppose rationale from a player's perspective on seeking out additional work, working with someone like yourself, and um, there's a lot of other people out there doing a very good job in this mm. sort of world as well. But what what seems to be some of the main reasons when you're engaging with players on why they are seeking this additional help? Mm. So off season, I think is a separate a separate breed altogether. Um, based on my experience of working with either first team or I mean I think the narrative changes a little bit with like the 18s and 23s um, in that it's like I want to do this I want to do that I want to get more explosive blah, blah 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 and then there's this like massive list so then you have to like manage the expectation it's like no you're not going to be doing doubles every day I don't want to see you more than you know two three times a week that's it uh, and that's me in the gym and then you know we can talk about your work outside of that because I've seen from my experience over the years some people get it quite badly wrong. And then the breakdown in, in pre-season, which was actually for the player I'm referring to, quite a significant hip injury. Um, and that was purely off, just, just doing too much in the off-season, just trying. Yes, okay, I'll agree. It could be a good window to, if you've got six to eight weeks, which no one has. <laughs> so, I mean, some of the younger guys, they I think some do finish last week of May. So they might, they might have five pushing on six weeks to um, to sort of get stuck in. Yes, okay, could, that could then be a good opportunity to, to you know to sort of hit it pretty hard. But um, some of the m- more senior players, that's where the narrative seems to change. They just want to just rest, recover, and then slowly start to reintegrate the work. Mm. Um, so so there's that sort of general level of capacity and tissue tolerance that I touched on earlier. So looking at this off-season period, 
mm. is six weeks, hypothetically. <laughs> but what wow. is probably oh, more like two weeks. For two weeks at least. <laughs> <laughs> so when you when you're going into that, Sam, because obviously we mentioned that it's a very different, very different approach. It's obviously a time when your business, I'm guessing, is going to get a lot busy with people coming to see you as well in that period. Yeah. What's the general thought process methodology going into that time as well? So it's broken up into, into two stages. Um, the first is obviously their recuperative stage where they have their two week rest. It can be very athlete specific, athlete dependentness. Um, if they've, if they're a first team player and they've played um, however many games, if, you know, top end, then yeah, two weeks at least whereby we just focus on some of the bigger rocks recovery, you know, your sleep, nutrition, hydration, um, which they should have, you know, mastered down to a T. And then, then we slowly start to just reintegrate work. So <clears throat> for me, um, we focus on, we'll give them a very, very, very short, short GPP stage uh, or phase rather, um, and then start to reintegrate some D cell work. So getting the landing back in, um, and then the pitch specific stuff, it depends whether, um, you know, a lot of the time there is a, a football coach who I work in conjunction with. Sometimes if the younger guys, they're often left their own devices, but with the guidance of myself or, um, or the club. Some don't even provide guidance. <laughs> yeah, case dependent. Very case, case dependent. dependent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, bro. <laughs> um, so yeah that, that's typically how it's sort of broken up into into two phases um recovery and then start to rebuild or reintegrate the relevant biomotors and some have slightly more specific goals than, than others um and it's it's very similar with with my experience of in season you know i'm not going to be like oh yeah no my marketing preach is never going to be oh i can do it better than them because no you know like i said earlier I'd rather this be more of a, a collaboration, which I feel for someone who works at a club might be quite tricky. Um, but but why couldn't it work? You know, if the lines of communications are clear, um, you know, the only thing or the only I'd say the only main benefit of a player perhaps doing something one to one is they might get a little bit more one to one time. You know, so the focus might be a little bit more on them uh, rather than just being given something to do and then then go and doing it. There's also, <clears throat> there are, although in season is typically classified as, you know, main peaking and then maintenance, you know, you could, if you wanted to go into a little bit more detail, break it down into a macro cycle of smaller peaks, you know, but, you know, you, this is where you just need to go into a lot more detail of, you know, micromanaging of the actual player and what they've done you know, what their recovery has been like coming into session. Um, and then also, you know, that will then dictate what you can really put through a player. Real. Mm. Sam, I want to touch on the mentoring that you do as well, because I mentioned before in the episode about uh, the work you do with coaches. So can mm. you give a little breakdown on kind of what you did with the players as well, the options that you have available for coaches to work with you and where that came about from as well? Yeah, so do you know what? I actually... <laughs> It came about from, I always had it at the back of my mind. And, you know, this is in the quick fire round at the end. This is going to be one of the, uh, one of my um, not biggest regrets, but advice to my, my younger self. I procrastinate for ages about things. Like I have an idea and then it just takes ages for me to either be a bit more decisive or for things to, to, to sort of um, basically start. So, um, yeah, no, I was actually approached while I was sort of deliberating about when I was going to do it. I was approached by um, someone and asked me to mentor them on a one-to-one -one basis. And at, at the same time, I was I was looking to take on a few coaches. And then this ended up being some natural form of mentoring because I was then teaching them, coaching them for them to then come and work with me and work with my clients, etc. And then it kind of all started to germinate from there into, you know, this idea that I wanted to then bring it to the fore in a group environment, which is now what it is. So um, the intake at the moment, we only had one this year, which was the, essentially the first group intake. <clears throat> um, it's comprised of, of actually 
increased the duration now to six months. It's comprised of uh, six modules. So we cover six modules ranging from um, screening and assessing through to joint health, energy systems, um, strength, speed relationships, programming, and then also the business development side of things. Um, and then on, alongside that, we also have individual breakout sessions where it's very much about the mentee, um, you know, meeting them where they are when they first start and then tracking progress throughout the, the six month process. Brilliant. And how does that work practically then for the individuals on it? Is that, is that all individual? Are they meeting up as a group? Like, how does that work? So, so per month, we meet up as a group. Uh, I then present on the topic. Uh, and then the mentees also present their work. I give them 10 minutes to, I give, we get, there's coursework with each module. So I give them 10 minutes to then present their work. And then we have a group discussion. And then the individual session is uh, in addition to that. So Real? Every, every sort of two weeks. And what what are the mentees? Are they at clubs working privately? Bit of a mix. Um, bit of bit of a mix, to be honest. So we had I had David O'Connor on the last the last group. Um, so Doc was obviously one who's doing great things in the women's game. Um, I've had those that are looking to become accredited. Um, who else was that? And then a number of others in the private sector. Brilliant. So a lot That's of a lot of. Um, a lot of what we we touch on in the, in the in the mentorship and obviously on the business development side of things, a lot of it is to do with you know your own business within the private sector. Yeah. Uh, how to how to sort of you know scale and market your product correctly, and um, you know unless you're someone who's working at a club and you've got this like side hustle going on, but I guarantee there's not many hours in the day left. No. <laughs> From my no. experience when I was at Palace. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you reckon is a, from your perspective then, Sam, leading that program, yeah. having players sort of feeding into you as, as um, mentor clients, students, whatever you want to call them, mm-hmm. how's that challenged you as a, as a practitioner? It's a good, that's a good question, actually. Um, because, you know, not, not only is it encouragement, so this, I, I, I see this as a, as a form of CPD as well, because not only has it encouraged me to actually just, deep dive into the topics you know I've got a they're, they're well researched I've got to you know reference them and give them people and give the the mentees actually some <clears throat> some value and some resources that they can go ahead and can use um so, so for me it's you know it's allowed me to continue some form of education for myself um it's also allowed me to refine some of the s- skills that you know are pretty essential when it comes to coaching um such as presenting um if you call it public speaking over Zoom. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that, I mean, it's definitely benefit to me in, in, in those ways, yeah. Brilliant. Let's move on to mm. the quick fires. Okay. So first question I always ask is, who have been some of the biggest influences on your career so far? Um, if I strip it right back... <clears throat> Early, early days when I think my my approach to training was a bit more hypertrophy based. Um, Charles Poliquin, yeah, old brother, old school. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then sort of moving forwards to, to modern day, Brett Bartholomew, um, Alex Natara. I think he's doing some really, really, really cool stuff at the moment, which seems to be uh, used in, in the um, in the pro game quite a bit by SNC coaches, from what I gather. Yeah. Um, so a lot of his ISO work has <clears throat> definitely become sort of commonplace in the game, which is which is great. Real. Are they the main ones? Any others? Um, I also, I mean, Eric Cressy, but he was more, more baseball, um, not not so football specific. Um, I suppose probably those are probably the main ones from a from a sort of SNC side of things. If I, if I was to look more on the sort of professional. Or, individual development side of things John Berardi <clears throat> yeah um what he's done with um let's forget what it's called precision, precision nutrition. nutrition yeah yeah um yeah and also his great book on have you read his book change maker I've not no no I followed a lot of this stuff with precision nutrition I've not read his book <laughs> I should mm. um also Alan Stein Jr um yeah no I what what about on the business side, Sam? Is there anyone that you follow on the business side? Or is it mainly mainly the same sort of people? I know they've obviously 
but well, those guys on the business those, side as well. Yeah, John Berardi and Alan Stein were more on the, the sort of businessy side. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd say that's, that's probably about it. Brill. Hmm. And what would you say your biggest strength is as a practitioner? I think meeting an athlete or a client where they're currently at. Um, so wherever that may be, it could be playing top flight. It could be, you know, I'm putting it up there because, you know, essentially if someone is playing top flight, you know, they're doing pretty well in their career. Or it could be someone who's perhaps struggling to turn pro or returning from an injury. Um, and, you know, regarding someone who is looking to, I mean, I've got a, I've got a client at the moment who, he came over from Australia about three years ago and he's looking to get into the English game. And he's, he's 18 now. He's, he's, he's at that level where he's actually just trying to get into semi-pro, which I don't know if he's probably on even kilt, whether getting from semi-pro to pro is just as hard as going from like, say, grassroots to semi-pro. I mean, mm. it is hard. Um, so yeah, just, just meeting an athlete where they're currently at and, you know, creating a, a sort of pathway for them or helping assist with their pathway into return to play or um, continuation within this sport. Brill. And I know you might have mentioned this and answered it already, but yeah. is there any other advice for a younger Sam? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, so I touched on it. Um, I think, you know, we can probably put that one to one side for now. I, I think, you know, I wish... I perhaps had a, a much clearer vision on where I wanted to go. I knew where I wanted to go, but it kind of, you know, it felt like a bit of a domino effect. It's kind of like, you know, I was going from one place to the next and um, um, yeah, I'd say perhaps just have a clear, clear idea of where you want to go, clear vision, maybe avoid some distractions along the way. There will be, you know, this is probably why I dominated a little bit because there were distractions um, and prioritize you you know, arguably maps perhaps be a little bit more selfish with what you want to achieve. And that shouldn't be misinterpreted because I know obviously selfish has a really bad connotation. Um, but it's just, yeah, just prioritizing you and in, in your brand and where you want to take it. Yeah, I've got, I have to quote the work of uh, Dan Howells and Josh Fletcher and people like that in this sort of area because mm. when they talk about your personal professional values and things like that, it's, it's definitely something like that's essentially what you're touching on there isn't it when, when you're talking about being the selfish reasons and stuff that's essentially what it is is it falling yeah. in line with what your values are i mean help yourself before you help others um it's just like you know i mean i hate to use the example but you know when uh, you're on a plane and they say put your life jacket on yourself before helping others it's just, yeah <laughs> you know you, yeah. you can't help yourself how can you help others um, yeah Hundred percent. But I'm sure there are. I'm sure there are people out there who are great at, you know, perhaps helping others more than themselves. So, once again, shouldn't be misinterpreted too much. Just to dive into that a little bit, though, when, when you mm -hmm. said about um, having that plan and that vision at mm -hmm. a younger age, yeah. Do you feel like because obviously with the like what you refer to as like the domino effect there, mm. that's obviously taught you a lot along the way. And we Absolutely. we spoke about before we started recording about where yeah. businesses go and they change direction all the time. Yeah. It's hard, isn't it, to have that eventual vision? I think I think it is, yeah. I, I think it is. I mean, I've certainly, from my experiences, learned a lot from, you know, perhaps not having... I mean, I don't think anything is ever linear. Um, I think in an ideal world, it, it would be. But, you know, if we're going to refer to return to play, either, you know, even progress in the gym, if you're not injured, nothing is, nothing is linear. And it does certainly teach you a lot along the way. Um, I mean, what it definitely did teach me was that you know, I actually belong in football rather than trying to pursue or do some half-hearted effort working with some other brand, which, you know, isn't in football or um, just getting distracted by working with people that you don't want to work with. Um, you know, all, the, all these sort of things. Yeah. But I think definitely if you sort of you pigeonhole yourself in a specific area or, or sport that you want to work um, and then get dominoed around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's good advice. Sam, what's the, and again, you mentioned before about the mentorship program, that being a, a kind of CPD for you, but what's your mm. approach to that and continued development? Do you have an, anything that you do on a weekly, daily basis to really focus in on that? Yeah. So for me, I've always been, I've always been big on it and it's, you know, something that was 
ingrained in me probably more so from when I did my master's like before I was I wasn't a great academic you know I've I didn't I struggled with you know things like A levels and GCSEs found them a bit of a chore and then I think I then grew up and <laughs> realized kind of where I wanted to go with with my career um, so since obviously doing my master's I've been very disciplined on just continued reading um, the education side of things you know I wouldn't recommend doing something just for the sake of it just for the you know this is another perhaps mistake I made early on <clears throat> trying to do too many too soon yeah rather than just focusing on one specific one which you know my my aim was to obviously become accredited with the UKSCA which was the main focus but then getting involved with like CSCS as well and it's like you know what are we doing we don't need the letters you know we don't need it mm. <laughs> yeah yeah but, um, you know, so I've been always been very disciplined on just the reading side of things. Uh, you know, I'll think hard and long about doing another um, qualification. You know, if, it's, if it's in the right area and speciality that I want to focus on, then yes. Um, but um, yeah, so that, that's kind of my continued approach. When you say reading, is that books? Is that journals, articles, or a bit of journals? A bit, a bit of everything. Yeah, yeah. Journal, journals, books, um, combination of um sports specific and also business related more so business of late um <clears throat> and also podcasts because you know, i do a lot of driving and stuff so it's the best way to kill time rather than listening to the same song on the radio every time <laughs> <laughs> i keep sneaking this question in whenever anyone mentions reading have you got any top recent recommendations or anything that stands out for you maybe maybe a business and maybe one on sort of more performance focused um I thought Atomic Habits was great. James yeah, brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> I think everyone, ever, surely everyone's done that one by now. Yeah. Um, he has a good, um, his, uh, his automated, automated emails are pretty, pretty good as well. I don't know if yeah. you're, you I up. do get his emails, yeah. Yeah. Um, then on the, hmm, on the SEC side of things, nothing, nothing new, just books that I just continue to refer back to. Um, Anthony Turner, Paul Comfort. Um, what else would it be? What's the current um, read? Current read? Yeah, uh, what are you on currently? No, I don't actually have anything currently. No? No. John Berardi, actually, no, Oversubscribed by Priestley. That's a great, another great book on the business side of things. Um, I think he's done a sequel to it as well. I can't remember what it's called, though. But yeah, John, John Berardi's Changemaker is great. Yeah, yeah, I'll have to check that out. If, wanna, you know, if you're looking to, to scale a business, I mean, he's a, a pretty good example of, of how to do it with what he's done with Precision, right? Yeah, I think yeah, if anyone hasn't heard of Precision Nutrition, <laughs> go and check it out. Because he sold, didn't he, not long ago. Mm. Um, but the whole that whole business, how that, like, not that old, I don't think, is it? But the sort no. of journey that went on, it was incredible. Mm. Yeah, so, I mean, he, he gives you the ins and outs in that book and, Tells you, you know, mistakes that he made and great decisions that he made at the same time. So, I, I, yeah, I highly recommend that one. Brilliant. Well, Sam, this has been top, mate. Thank you very much for coming on. Thanks for having me on, Ben. Cheers. Um, do you want to just drop in? Where's the best place <clears throat> you direct people for either one-on-one -on -one work as players, but probably more like coaches if they want to get in touch about the mentorship program? Like where yeah, would you so direct them? Website is www.sampeeps.com. Um, all of the information about the mentoring and coaching side of things is on there. Um, but yeah, if you want to drop me an email at sam at sampeeps.com, um, be more than happy to answer any questions. Um, and then the infamous IG is sam underscore peeps underscore performance. Perfect. Yeah. Sam, I appreciate your time, mate. Thank you very much. Good, man. Cheers. Big thank you for listening to episode 203 and big thanks to Sam for giving up his time and coming on the podcast as well. If you don't already follow him, go and check him out. If you're on Instagram, he's Sam underscore Peeps, which is P-E-P-Y-S underscore performance. So go and check him out on there because he posts some great stuff, some um, insights into the work he does with players, but also some great information on there as well. So go and check him out on Instagram. Um, I'll post his website as well in the show notes so you can go and check out the website and the information around the mentorship if that's something you're interested in. Takeaways on this one, I thought it was a great conversation, some really cool stuff to take from Sam. 
The first one was the fact that working in full-time football for him, the novelty wore off. I think he, he sort of alluded to it in the podcast that he was chasing something that he thought was going to give him everything he wanted from his career. And, and when he got to that point, the novelty wore off. So that's an interesting takeaway for me. And then tying into that, the fact that he wanted flexibility and that's something that he's been able to create in his current role and the way that his company works. So tying back in, which I've done a lot of times now with the episode with Dan Howells and also with um, John Noonan and Josh Fletcher around your values, your personal professional values. Obviously, one of his is flexibility and having that flexibility with his career. So that is something he's been able to create with the approach that he's taken. So that's that's uh, great to hear um, on that as well. He spoke about working in conjunction with a technical coach as well with the work that he does. So I think that's interesting because he's really getting that perspective of someone that it has that understanding of the of game models and what they actually are looking for with players performing out on the pitch and the importance of individualization as well. So I knew that a lot of the questions I was putting to Sam, it's hard to answer unless we've got a specific case study because a lot of it is usually followed by the answer of it depends because it does depend because you're dealing with individuals. But I thought Sam did a great job of giving different scenarios and his thought processes around how he would tackle um, some of these instances as well, which I thought was really great. So loads of great stuff for me on this one. I thought um, Sam was a great guest. So thank you again to Sam for coming on. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Um, Please feedback. It's always great to hear feedback. And if you haven't done so already, pop over to Spotify, click the five stars. And also over on iTunes, click the five stars and leave us a little review as well. It doesn't have to be long. Just mention your favorite guest, your favorite topic, just something about the podcast. Um, I really would appreciate that. And just before I go, just want to give another huge shout out to our sponsors, Rezzle. They're doing some great stuff in the world of VR. I actually listened to Joe Rogan's podcast recently with Mark Zuckerberg, which is really interesting in terms of where all this stuff is is developing and going. Um, Rezzle are doing some great work out there in football and other sports as well. But go and check out the re, uh, the recreations of some of the goals that they're doing over on the VR system. Um, they recently posted a few from the Premier League. It just gives you a little insight into uh, what they're working on, some really exciting stuff and something that's going to be great to see how that develops in the future as well. So go and check them out over on socials at Rezil, R-E-Z-Z-I-L even. And a big thank you to them for sponsoring the podcast. I hope you all have a good week and I will speak to you next week in episode 204.